topic of conversation for the next two weeks, morning and evening services, so six o'clock tonight, another installment on the topic. I've titled it The Good Book, and it comes out of a conversation, a few conversations, some in small groups or grow groups, some in personal discussion, and then also just sort of reading the atmosphere of conversation about God and church at the moment. I've titled it The Good Book, and I'm going to take a few weeks to talk about whether the Bible is reliable, whether it contradicts itself, how it should be read and applied, and today, whether the Bible should be read literally. Like, was there an actual whale that ate an actual Jonah? And after three days, did the whale have indigestion and spit Jonah out? That kind of conversation. Now, the challenge with a topic like this or anything of this nature is the following. There are two types of people who go to church. The, well, probably a whole lot more. But on a topic like this, the first type is the type that says, I want to go to church and I want to feel something. I want to feel it. The song must hit me in the... Mm. And then there's another group of people who say, I want to go to church, I want to learn something. I want to know something. And sometimes it's quite challenging to do both. But I think what's really important is that the people who feel something should also eventually learn something. And then the people who learn something should also eventually feel something. I think we, we have to have both. And that's an important uh, um, uh, point of departure. The second important point of departure is that I'm really worried that, the, worried is a big word, it bothers me that there is a generation of people who know God and enough about the Bible, and then a whole new generation who don't know God and don't know enough about the Bible. And if the people who do know couldn't be bothered to share with the people who don't know, then we're going to have a problem in a few years' time. Can you say amen to that? That's important. For here in Port Elizabeth, uh, Jeffrey's Bible, I'm just going to say something about our worship for a moment. Uh, don't tap out. This is important. But we've introduced two songs before inviting the saints, our youth, to go to their own service. And I just wanted to tell you, those two songs are a little bit more rock and roll. Have you noticed that? Caught you a bit off guard this morning, you were just waking up and you're like, what's that all about? It's quite an intentional decision not to rock and roll you. But we've realised that uh, here's, here's the fact. I'll tell you the facts. The facts are that they say that a church's age is more or less 10 years older than their pastor up to 10 years younger than their pastor. So as you know, I'm 30. No. So, <laughs> so someone who's 50, that means the average age of a congregation would be between 60 and 40. And we realized that it's very important that we also raise a space for younger so we want the young people, while they're here, before they go to their own service, to have church at its best for their age and stage. And in fact, we were employing, for the first time since the pandemic, in the pastoral space, we're employing a youth pastor role, youth director to raise into youth pastoral for the first time, and we'll introduce him to you in a month's time or so. So I just wanted to give you a bit of context, and I'm very excited about that. I think it is one of the most important things we can do is make space. I couldn't keep up with the words for the first song, Matt. I'm just gonna tell you that I just went from there into tongues. I feel all those years of training as a Pentecostal, I'm going to bring it today. 
and I just sang that song in other tongues. And I thanked the Lord for it. But my heart swelled with joy because young people were jumping, young people were worshipping, young people were engaging. And we've got to always make space for that. That's very, very important. So both the topic and the bit of the change might really help us uh, confront that. And so let's have a stab at it, shall we? And this morning, I'd like to start with this topic on how to approach the Bible. Uh, when someone asks the question, do we take it literally? Maybe part of what they're saying is, I'm not really sure how to approach this thing. Now, I assume you all know why it's called the Bible, right? It's called the Bible because, and I'm, I'm going to apologize now, there's a lot of Greek in this sermon. There's just a lot of Greek me, so that's 100% Greek, but there's a lot of Greek because there's history to it. So the, the word Bible literally is uh, English translation of the word vivlia, which means a library of books. It's a library of books. So it was the first library of books put together in one volume. The 66 books, one library, vivliotia, put together into one book. So you're carrying around, well, you used to carry around a library. Can we all say amen to that? Now you carry a phone that has an app that has the library in it. So that's where it came from. And so I want to start there and engage on a couple of topics. Let's take ourselves first to Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So right in Scripture, there is an assumption that until you come to a certain point of believing what you're hearing, it becomes very difficult to have faith. And so faith initiates from your believing what you're hearing. So if you doubt what you see and what you hear, you might say, well, I don't know if I believe all of that. And so I'd like to kickstart that conversation in that way. In the book of John, chapter one, uh, it says this, the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only his son uh, who came from the father full of grace and truth. I love the message translation. So I just throw it out there just for like lighthearted. Uh, it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Amen. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. So the people in the Bible had a personal witness, experience, observation of Jesus. They sought themselves and they wrote it down. You and I can't do that. We can't physically see it in the same way they could. So we have to rely on what's in Scripture. Now, here's the thing. It's not popular to read as, it used, as popular to read as it used to be. And what I mean is, you know, um, why read when somebody could read it to you? So audible. And then why read the whole thing when somebody could just summarize it for you? So podcast. And then why listen to a whole one and a half hour podcast when someone can summarize it into shorts? So two minutes. So unfortunately, a lot of our information is coming to us in two minute pieces. And you know, you could pick two minutes of the Bible and mess with somebody's head. Did you know that? I mean, there's a really conflicting scripture in Ecclesiastes. I know you don't know it's there. It's there. It's in the Bible. Ecclesiastes. It says this. It is far better to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. I mean, that, that just sounds like a tattoo. 
You know, if you were highlighting and you were like, that's my verse, there it is in the Bible, my verse of the day. You'd be, I mean, how many of you know that's not, you have to read the whole book. It's 11 chapters. It takes five minutes, three to five minutes per chapter to have somebody read it. You've got to read the whole thing because if you didn't know that Ecclesiastes was a thesis, like an academic thesis with a, 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 a proposition postured at the first line, the first line was, I wonder what the meaning of life is. Every chapter was an attempt at something, concluding with vanity of vanities, it is nothing but chasing the wind. So he tries parting, this is Solomon, okay, he had a lot of money, don't try it. But he did it for you, he thought parties is the meaning of life. So he had a party for 365 days of the year to make sure the weather was good, it's a good party in winter, it's a good party in summer. He gets to the end, he says, vanity of vanities, nothing but chasing the wind. Then he goes, goes through this whole eat, drink and be merry. Then he gets himself a wife every day for 365 days, leaving nothing for the rest of us. And he goes through this whole... <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't supposed to say, I just have it came out just there. And he goes through this whole thing, but you have to go to the 12th chapter, 11th to 12th chapter, 12th chapter. You have to end it. The thesis ends in the following way. Solomon, the wisest and perhaps wealthiest man recorded in Scripture says... I have explored all these things and found them to be chasing the wind, the true duty of man and the fulfillment of life. Honor God. For that is the true pleasure of a life well lived. Now, you can't just pick two minutes and put it on your, you know, thigh. Eat, drink, be merry, Ecclesiastes. You can't do that. That's not the thigh, right? That's a cough. Um, you can't do that, but you have, to, you have to understand the book. And so I'm a bit worried that in a world in which it's not common practice to approach reading in the same way, we might be losing the beauty of the story by stopping too soon. And now we binge watch series, but we're very scarce on reading content. And I think, is that an amen moment? I think we've got to keep an eye on that and figure it out. So, so there are a couple of things that are really important. So I've called it the triple test um, on how, why the Bible is as impactful as it has been and how you can have confidence in its content. And by the end of the message today, I want to share with you one or two tips on how to approach the Bible. Because I want to make a case today that the Bible is unlike any other book you will ever have in your life. It therefore can't be approached like any other book. You can't approach the Bible like a romance novel, you know, snuggled up with a blanket and sipping a coffee and holding hands with, you know, someone or your, or your, or your pet. You can't, do, you, you, you can't approach it. You can't approach it scientifically. It's not a scientific journal. So you can't pick it apart in a scientific way. There is science in it. There is romance in it. But it isn't written like a science journal or a romance novel. There's history in it, but it isn't written like an archaeologist's review of something. You have to approach it with a certain kind of uniqueness that you don't approach any other book with. That's very, very important. Mind you, the more science travels into its, uh, into its analysis, the more the Bible is proving to be true over and over again. I listened to a Joe Rogan podcast. I think every pastor should. I listened to a Joe Rogan po podcast recently. He had a guest on there who was uh, describing the, uh, the uh, new discoveries of the telescope into the universe. And Joe Rogan says to him, you're starting to sound religious. He said, I have to be honest. 
I wasn't as religious, but the more I see, the more I am compelled to be religious. He said, the problem with science is that it all works as long as you accept one miracle, the Big Bang. Something at the beginning must be a miracle, then everything else can be scientific. Well, we're telling you, we know what the Big Bang is. It is God saying, let there be light. So, Here's a bit of random information. Take it, leave it, tattoo it, let's go. Uh, It makes you think like I'm considering that, eh? But I I don't know, at 50, it's high risk that skin starts sagging. Now the words look Hebrew, but they were English. I don't know, I don't know. Don't need a translation. So so the first test is the, the, the Vivlia test. In other words, Uh, What is the oldest version of something we have? The oldest version, the very first copy we can get. Not the first one ever written, but the first one we can get. So I love it when people say, you know, the problem with the Bible, it's been translated and changed and they wrote it in different languages and they rewrote it and we can't be sure. But you, you have to understand that the same test we do for every other historical document is the same test the Bible passed. So if you don't believe that, then you mustn't believe any old books because it's the same test. So let me me show you. So these are some Greek things. Uh, Are you guys guys ready for a couple of uh, Greek uh, 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 terminologies, if you you don't mind? Uh, The names I'm going to read are philosophers, historians, politicians, poets, uh, uh, that we still treat uh, in research and academia as world-class. All of them are Greek. And that really is the last time I'm going to say that. I I, I just wanted to leave it out there. But the oldest version of these, in other words, how many years after it was originally written did we find the first copy? I think that's important. So Euripides' first copy is found 1,500 years after it was originally written. Aristotle's first documented copy of works is 1,400 years after it was first written. Plato, good old Plato and the Republic. Its first copy is 1,300 years after it was written. Uh, Tarsius is 1,000. You see, I've brought it even down for you. Here's what's truly important and remarkable. The first original copy of of the New Testament was found 50 years after it was first written. The age of something from its original source is the shortest in the Bible by a mile compared to any other book in ancient records. That's important. So if the others can be trusted, because they didn't write them in English, they wrote them in the languages of the day. If the ones we have now, we say, well, we don't trust that Aristotle wrote that. We don't distrust rather that Plato did that and said that if it can be analysed, it can be researched, then it can become an academic study at a university. How much more something that is no more than 50 years old can we say that is the gospel truth? It falls in this, yeah, is that capable? Are the people who knowing something starting to feel something? Can we just have an amen every now and then? Okay. I think that's incredibly important. Um, in fact, it's really helpful. Go to a church with a good pastor and a good worship team. And, uh, you know, thankfully you've solved that problem. You're here now. Um, <laughs> so rude. 
Ah, Lord, I'm going to regret that too. You know, when I'm back home thinking through the service, I'm going to be like, ah, why'd you say that? But um, it's helpful to know context. So the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, book of Luke was written by a doctor. Luke was a doctor. And he's writing a book about the gospel. And, and it's said that Luke probably also wrote the book of Acts. So Acts and Luke together, doctor. And the reason why he's writing it is very important. He's writing it to a leader called Theophilus. It's actually in your Bible, in the first verse of Luke. Uh, Dear Theophilus, he writes it. And why did he write it? Because Christians were getting uh, persecuted or or tried in, in in a court for their faith. And this doctor was worried that these fishermen weren't explaining their faith very well. So he said, let me write an explanation of what's happened in Jesus's life as a defense for the faith, because I'm worried that the uneducated fishermen and the like are not going to explain themselves very well. And so he wrote it. And that's the one we know just 50 years after the event we know is on record to detail what took place. How remarkable is that? So it says this, uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Uh, my Bible literally says uh, dedication, dedication to Theophilus. Um, uh, and it says this, I, I, I have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first uh, were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord with this in mind. Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the very beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. Theophilus was not a a religious leader. He was a political and judicial leader. And Luke says, listen, I've investigated this thing. I'm worried it's not being explained properly. Let me write it down. I've gone and investigated the people who were there personally and I've recorded as close as I can an accurate account, the book of Luke. How amazing is that? The second thing that's important in understanding the Bible, because we'll get to interpreting it in a moment, is how many copies there were. You know, um, Copies are important because of the way things were copied. There was no uh, photocopy machine uh, in those days. And I know we don't use photocopy machines anymore. We scan and photograph. Um, But uh, photocopy machines in those days were people called scribes, right? And that was their full job. They would literally scribe word for word a whole book and write it down. Now, a couple of things about that. For someone to dedicate their time to it, it means that the recording is meaningful. Like, I don't think anyone's going to sort of commit their lives to scribing like the script for The Simpsons. Like, I don't think if anyone's going to go, like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up and for the rest of my life, I'm just going to write out one episode after another. I don't think so. There were these rules on how to write it. You had to look at the word, read it out loud to everyone in the room. If you're gonna write the word, no, 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 everyone. Yes, it says no, no, K-N-O-W-K-N-O, yes, K-K, K, no, no, no. It took a lifetime. I mean, now you just like send and you're frustrated when it doesn't, but that was a lifetime of recording. So scribes and the number of books mattered because it indicated importance, but it also reiterated accuracy. Have you noticed how important something is when more than one person says it? You you don't notice the first time, but if a few people say, oh, that sounds true. So there's something important about that. So I thought I'd give you a couple of facts, then we're done with all the Greek fact stuff and we can go to feelings. I mean, things to feel. Sorry. It sounded um, rude. So number of 
copies found as close to original as possible. We've already done the number of years, number of copies. Tatius, 31 copies. Aristotle, 49 copies as close to original um, uh, as possible. Theocides, 96 copies. Plato, 210 copies. The book on, from Caesar on war, uh, 251 copies. The second most copied book in ancient history is a Greek book about, I said I wouldn't do it, uh, uh, entitled The Iliad by Homer. 1,800 copies of that poem, The Iliad by Homer, has been, have been found. The Bible records 24,603 copies of its original in its ancient form. 24,603. We look at others with only 41 copies and say that's legit, original, powerful, poetic, and functional. The Bible has a hundred times more that copied by people one letter at a time for record uh, across the ages. Do you see why it is, it's a clappable, clappable moment? That's why the Bible has stood the test of time through so many eras and so many generations. You might say, but they've changed language. So have all of these. You might say, but when you copy it from one person to the other, how will we know? Well, you must find a third one to make sure the copy was right. But what if you had 24,000 of them to make sure that it was translated right? Surely that matters. So I think we must eliminate excuses from our minds as to why we don't approach the Bible. Now, the big question of the day is, should we read it literally? So I'm, I'm going to get there in a moment. 1 John 1 says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. That, that life appeared, uh, we have seen it, testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So, I read that scripture for a reason. We can firstly agree, should agree, that the book is old. The problem is, is what's in it true? So it's old, like other book, old books. But is it true? And here is perhaps one of the most startling tests of all, the test of boldness. The test of boldness. And this is really important. That the people in that book, the Bible, the books, the Bible, particularly the New Testament, are the only ones that we have confidence in were murdered in their own lifetime for writing and believing what they wrote. No poet has ever had to be killed just for poetry. Maybe later, and maybe some of you might have thought, oh, if I'd only. But the apostles, one by one, died, refusing to recant what they had written and believed, saying, I can't lie, I was there, and this is really true. My own hands have held them. My eyes have seen them. My ears have heard it. These things are true at the risk of my own life. See, yeah, <laughs> clappable moment. I'm provoking you, I know. 
This is really important because so often we disregard the power of a text uh, when we don't appreciate it and own it in a world in which the people who first wrote it had to die for it, had to actually pay a terrible price uh, to, to write its context. You know, uh, it, it is hard to, to imagine that a joke that started out in a pub somewhere uh, became a document and then people said, well, I'm, I'm not even gonna, I'm gonna die for that. That's how trustworthy I think it is. The Bible is trustworthy because its content is so remarkable that the people who wrote it were eyewitnesses to it and said, I am willing to die uh, for it. I'm often asked, especially by young people, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was it the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000? Because there's two accounts. Uh, Were there two different feedings? Did they write it incorrectly? Is it a contradiction? I just want you to um, appreciate that when you have something like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's four people telling you what they saw that day. Now, if you get four people to tell you something they experienced and they were all there and they all tell you what they experienced, but they all use the same numbers and the same words, you might say they planned their story together. They sat down and they said, listen, let's get our story straight. When they ask us, you say it's 5,000. It's 5,000 people. The, the one guy said, does that count women and children? No, let's just say just men, don't count the women and children, just 5,000. But I thought it was four. How would you know what 4,000 people are and 5,000? I'm telling you, it was five. It's two fishes and five loaves. I, it, it didn't look like loaves, it looked like buns. We're going with five loaves. You would say it sounds too the same for it to be an independent testimony of somebody's observation. I expect when people tell something, be a little different. One person might say, I bumped into George the other day. He is two meters tall. <laughs> okay, I see. It's gonna be a long service. Another person, another person might say, I bumped into George the other day. I mean, the guy is honestly, you know, he could fit through the bottom half of those stable kitchen doors. <laughs> okay, you laughed louder then. Let me just put my Christian back on. I would expect that. What I'm confident of is that both of you would know you bumped into George. I mean, we we should at least have that as a baseline and allow for the humanity in the um, description. That's also very important. In Scripture, Peter reminds us uh, this idea. For we did not follow cunningly crafted fables uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses. That's the key. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God, uh, from God the Father, honor and glory uh, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we have heard this voice which came from heaven and we were with him on that holy mountain. And so we have prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed like light that shines in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star uh, um, rises in your hearts. Now, the last bit of scripture, it's a lot, but watch this. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture, so that word is being, no interpretation of scripture is of any private interpretation. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that scripture says we can't have our own private uh, interpretation of scripture. It should be an understanding shared by the community of faith. 
So here's something very important. The Bible is old. The Bible is an eyewitness account for which people died. And the Bible is not manipulated by my personal interpretation. It is part of a community of faith that shares the witness of what I see and understand. So we should gather, we should worship, we should discuss and discuss, and we should unpack, or else we may land up with a private interpretation of Scripture, which is very, very unwise. Can you say amen to that? Very unwise. Now, how should we approach the Bible? Okay, so let me answer the literal question. Uh, am I doing okay? I actually can't see the time there. What is the time? Are we five past? Okay, okay. So I've got four minutes. Mark? More or less. He, he always tells me that when I do this, it makes it sound like he's actually going to stop me. At, but it, I, he isn't. It's just a cute thing to do. How's it, Mark? But um, I'll get into trouble later. Are you going to throw something at me? Okay. Oh, he's going to switch off the mic. Um, here, here's my... No, switch off this mic. Um, uh, Here's what I would suggest on approaching the Bible. I would suggest that while you're getting used to the library of Scripture, approach it always literally. And then as you mature in it, you will find in it history and poetry and analogy but start literally because it'll do no harm. You understand what I mean? I don't mind if you are comfortable that there was a Jonah. He did run away. He slipped and fell into disobedience, which landed him in the mouth of a big fish. Three days later, he got popped out on the other side. And all you hear from that is, always obey the Lord. But if later you say, well, I don't know if Jonah really lived and there was a real fish, but I'll tell you what, three days in the mouth of a, be- in the belly of a beast is three days of Jesus in the, in the pit of hell. Uh, uh, mankind walking in disobedience and Jesus bringing the good news of man back into obedience. After three days, a resurrection and a new life. And you find the poetry and the imagery in it. But start literal and then land on poetry and analysis analogy later. Don't start looking for analogy all the time because you'll, 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 you'll overanalyze it, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a, a love, oh, thanks for cleaning up the, the I can see the time now. Um, it's like, it's like a, you know, when people are, are, are poetic, you know. If somebody says to, to a girl he's trying to court, say, you know, I love you so much, I'd do anything for you. I, I would climb the highest mountain for you. And then you step back from that and go, okay, so I wonder if this guy's ever seen mountains. I wonder what mountain is the highest mountain he's actually seen. Does he even know what the highest mountain is? He wouldn't climb the highest mountain for her because mountains are far away. He doesn't have the equipment in those days to climb high mountains. So now you're getting clever about the science and you've ruined the moment. The moment was beautiful. Just take it at face value. This guy loves her so much, he is going to be outrageous. He's going to climb the ice mountain and swim the deepest sea. Does he know how many sharks in the sea? You know how far it is? No one has ever swam. Nobody has ever swum from one deep sea to the other. That must mean it can't be done. Therefore, love is not real. Like, just turn it down and just enjoy it for where it is. And then as, <laughs> there was a lot, eh? There was a lot. Even I feel tired and I said it. <laughs> just take it. So, so, That means when God says we should maintain sexual purity until we are married, take it literally. When God says that 
We should guard our hearts for, from it flow the issues of life. We should literally watch what we think and say because there's life and death in it. I think you start there and then you see Song of Solomon is a love song. You shouldn't read it until you're married. Guess what all the single people are gonna read this afternoon? <laughs> there are scriptures in Song of Solomon you have to be 16 and older to read. Come let me know tonight if you found them. Uh, the first five books, there's history in it. You know, the other day someone said, there's so much killing in the Bible. This one killed that one and that one killed that one. The Bible recorded it. It didn't cause it. <laughs> but the Bible's fault that people were hectic. All over people were hectic, including non-Bible places. Have you read some of your own people's history? There was chaos all over. The Bible just recorded accurately kind of what was going on in history. So you say, well, that's historical. That's poetic. That's an analogy, allegorical. But you start out saying, I take everything to be true at face value. I learn what I can in my maturity level there, and then I keep walking forward from there into depths. Can you say amen to that? So here's what I would recommend. Three quick things. Number one, approach the Bible uniquely. You have to have a plan. It can't be randomly. It, it should be uniquely, and it shouldn't be like any other book. Don't try to read it from the cover to the cover. Don't, you know, don't try and nitpick little pieces out of it. Don't skip sections to look for the one. Don't do the, my favorite charismatic one. Lord, show me where to read, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm going to say, Lord, da da ba ba. I'm going to drop this open and where it opens, it's going to be. Don't, you know, don't approach it like that's so mystical and weird. You might as well throw bones. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'll take that back. Don't do that. You joke. Years ago, I had a small group at the university and a young person did that. They were like, I don't know where to start. And they were in a cell group and they were like, let's do cell together. A Bible study group is now called Grow Group. Doesn't matter what it's called. And they were like, let's hear from the Lord. And there were 12 people in the group and they popped open the Bible and he put his finger randomly. One of you shall betray him. Well, which one of us is the traitor? <laughs> Don't do that. Approach it uniquely. Secondly, approach it practically. I always recommend read the Bible until you find something you can do and then stop reading that part until you do it and then go back and read it again. Read it practically. When I find something, uh, forgive. Let me think about who to forgive, what I need to forgive, what heart of unforgiveness I may have, who I need to text, and then I'll read and pick up again. You know, last thing. Uh, read it relationally. I'm, I've really run out of time. Read it relationally. Um, God could choose any time in history for Jesus to come. He chose a time when there were roads to every civilized part of the world so the gospel could go. But he did not choose a time when the printing press had been invented. And the first 1,400 years of the church, people relied on testimony, not analysis. They didn't have Bibles. They had to go to church, hear a piece, go home, talk about it, practice it, see you next week, get a piece. And I'm worried that we've gotten smarter in this era, but less practical. 
in an era that maybe the smartness level wasn't as high with everybody, but it was lived out really, really practically. So let's commit to applying it. What a privilege to have the old texts, but how powerfully important to live it out. Can you say amen to that? Live it out practically. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jeffrey's Bay, I, I hope you've had a great morning. Uh, I look forward to being with you soon. Online church, please stay in the comments. I'd like to do a prayer with you uh, on all the platforms. And I've certainly gone, gone over a minute or two, so I'm gonna, I want to land this as effectively as I can right now through a prayer. Let's take a moment to pray. Wow, a lot of people online. Lord, thank you for sending us your son but leaving also for us the spirit and a written record of our relationship with you. Will you please help us untangle our hearts from the mess of sound bites and bits and pieces and confusion and set us as a church and for us individually down a path of eagerness to know uh, the Word, to grow in the Word, to live by the context of the Word. Teach us not to approach it like any other book that we've ever encountered nor ever will encounter. We hold your Word to be true for the Scripture says, heaven and earth may pass away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever, unaltered, unedited, not available for private interpretation, but held together by the community of faith. And we honour you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, would you give God one more shout of praise, the time spent together?